0: Welcome to In the Thick of It, Profit and Losses Weekly Podcast on All Things Thick. My name is Colin Lambert and with me from New York is Galen Stops. Um Galen, this week I have to say I think I think you took one for the team. Um I think your tweet on, on Wednesday say or Wednesday here said you've actually went through a whole notebook making notes about the Congressional Libra hearings. My top level takeaway was you're less than impressed with um some of the congressmen on day one and day two basically were a lot better because they just weren't day one. Um, What was your takeaway from the hearing?
1: Okay. So so it was first, day one was the the Senate committee and day two was the House committee. Um, The reason why I wasn't impressed with day one was that that there was some political point scoring and grandstanding on both days. but, But day one, it was a little bit egregious at times. Um, and, and I get that, that, you know, the U.S. is the country of, of never ending fundraising and campaigning. And, you know, lots of these people, you know, the politicians realize they're on TV for five minutes and, you know, they yeah. can take a clip of them bashing Facebook and put it in their next campaign ad and show, show people back, back in their districts, you know, how tough they are on, on big tech, which seems to be, um, the way the political winds are blowing right now. Um, But it was just frustrating on on day one that it didn't seem like anyone had either read the white papers, been briefed on them, or they'd been briefed or read them and didn't understand any of them. So we got the same questions over and over. People clearly didn't understand how any of this was structured, whereas day two it felt like people had done their homework um, a little bit more. But one thing I would say, though, is across both days, I mean, U.S. politicians really hate Facebook right now. Like right. And I don't know, partly that the, the kind of the backlash against big tech right now. But I think yeah. part of it is the, uh, the fallout still from the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Um, cause the, the problem is, right? Facebook got hauled before, uh, Congress before in relation to, to that issue, right? And, you know, they said, Oh, you know, don't worry. All the data's been deleted and, and no third parties have them and, and all of this, which turned out to be absolutely incorrect right so when the thing that people are concerned about was that you you weren't being truthful the last time it makes it hard for them to go in front of congress and say you know trust us we're going to have the best kyc aml and everyone's data is going to be protected um you know there is a kind of case of yeah you said that last time and it wasn't true
0: how do we know it's true this time yeah so well, I, I mean that's, I don't that's fair isn't it I mean, no wish to defend politicians of any color in any country, but I guess if you look at it, you know, as we pointed out in this podcast about three weeks ago, Facebook's um, track record in recent times is not exactly exemplary, is it? Not at all, right? Um, not at all. And and there is like a, a,
1: a fair amount of suspicion, you know, they're not, as I say in, in, in the piece, Facebook isn't doing this, launching this cryptocurrency out of the goodness of its heart right? It is a for-profit no. entity, right? And they have seen an opportunity to you know, increase profits for their company through this, right? So there was a, a huge amount of, I think, at least partially um justified suspicion. And I think the other hesitation from lawmakers, which I think is entirely fair, right, is that they simply don't know how this thing is going to evolve, right? There's still a lot we don't know in terms of, of, of cryptocurrencies, of how they're gonna impact a wider market, what it's all gonna look like. You know, if, if they give approval and they launch and the Libra gets launched and it gets adoption, but then the you know, over time that the Libra Association governing it, you know, evolves and changes into something beyond what was first created. Um there's not a lot the US government will be able to do about it at that point. You know, once you let the genie out of the bottle, it's going to be pretty much impossible to let it back in. Like, they can stop it now, but once it, it gets mainstream adoption, it will become very hard for them to control or stop it. So I understand why they want to have a, a, a full understanding, and they're very
0: cautious about letting this thing get started. But can I, I, mean, can I ask a question on that then? Because um, <clears throat> I sort of got the impression, reading your pieces, that... Yeah, obviously, Facebook is in this because it will enrich the company and and give them even more um, footprint around the world. But is it not also the case that Facebook are basically saying to the U.S. government, well, you know you can't control Bitcoin. You know there's absolutely nothing you can do about that. So your choices are either you go that route where everything's hidden away in some offshore um jurisdiction, or you talk to us who are willing to work with you exactly that's
1: so this is for so for all the u s governments uh hates Facebook and their skepticism about this project that is probably the the key point that that Facebook will be trying to make. I'm sure they've got you know armies of of lobbyists swarming the government mm-hmm. right yeah. now saying exactly that, which is i mean less less Bitcoin because I think Bitcoin because of the volatility is still so far away from from being a a world worldwide adopted um, payment mechanism right but the the argument from from Libra and Facebook is going to be look this technology exists right if if you don't get behind this and help make Libra the the kind of the globally adopted recognized cryptocurrency for international trading, all that's going to happen is companies like Alibaba or WeChat etc right will come up with yeah. a very very similar structure right and you'll have absolutely no control over those at least with this right the you know the libra association you know is going to be um working with various governments um you know Calibra and I think maybe the libra association as well I have to double check will be registered with fincen uh, each each wallet yeah. provider will be accountable in their own jurisdiction to their regulators. So they won't be able to regulate the cryptocurrency, but they will be able to regulate the firms that run and operate yeah. on the network, right? Plus so, so there was a lot of there was a lot of, of of politicians trying to pin down the um the representative from Calibra uh David Marcus on on various things that he kept dodging. And one of them was, you know, they kept you know asking him you know, if if we told you to stop and not do this, would you stop? Um, and and his yeah his stock answer was uh, that that they would commit to not launching until regulators are completely happy and satisfied
0: with it. Yeah. Um, to your point, so, so, to your point a couple of minutes ago, does Alibaba and WeChat have the global reach of Facebook though?
1: Uh, I don't. I don't think they have the global reach. But right. I mean, but the thing is, they have. <clears throat> Um, In terms of sheer numbers uh, of users, they might they have comparable reach. Um, Yeah, it's definitely more regional
0: focus. Yeah, I'd say that's that's my point. I mean, I look at it and think to myself that there are probably five or six companies that could achieve this that have that global geographical footprint.
1: But 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 at the moment,
0: most of them seem to be headquartered in the US.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't even need to be that global. I mean, so we talked about this before. We've written articles about whether, for example, um, you know, whether China will kind of adopt CLS or come up with its own yeah. settlement mechanism and whether this starts to actually, uh, you know, this becomes kind of, uh, divides up some of the, the market in terms of there's, there's two systems, right? And so if, if let's do a hypothetical, right? Libra gets shot down. Um, you know, one of these companies in, in Asia does something similar. It, it gets mass adoption, but it's only regional, right? You're still going to have the problem, right? Which was raised in the thing. Um, if if someone wants to evade sanctions, for example,
0: they yeah. can use
1: that, right? Yeah. It, it becomes it, it becomes an alternative to the power of the dollar and diminishes the power of the dollar, which yeah. you know is, is is one of the, the strongest things that the U one of the you know the biggest soft power that the U S has, right? Um, yeah. So it, it doesn't need to be global. Um, I think it just needs to be big enough. Right. Um and I think that yeah. that's what they're concerned about. And then of course, you know, if it becomes that big regionally, it becomes well, it either becomes harder for someone else to compete with it, uh, or even if they're successful, it then cleaves it cleaves the world in two, right? Where there's kind of like yeah. a an, an Asia uh crypto that's accepted in Asia and a crypto that's accepted in the West. Um either way that's not a desirable outcome for the U.S. government, which is why, you know, I think I think that argument, particularly in in light of, of the recent, you know, trade concerns and kind of the recognition of China as kind of a, a strategic um, geopolitical competitor,
0: uh, that's probably the strongest hand it has in its deck right now. Yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, I still get people tell me that every time Bitcoin bounces... Um, it's not one of the whales buying it. It's actually somebody buying it to to something related to sanction busting. Um, You know, very leadingly, people are often telling me that a lot of Bitcoin buying starts out of Korea. Um, So I I, I get their point. I mean, I kind of get the feeling myself that no matter who runs a cryptocurrency, the US government will not be able to control it the way they can the dollar. And on which note, I found it, Vastly, um, hilarious that Trump was quoted this week as talking about how he's going to be able to weaken the dollar. So all these currency manipulators he's been accusing for the last three years, um, he's going to do exactly the same. Nothing like a good hypocrite in the world, is there? Um, yeah. On a philosophical level, then, I mean, you, you've sat there, gone through two days of the hearings, and we will give you the medal for that later on, believe me. <laughs> um, do you think Labour has got legs?
1: Oh, that's just—it's—it's it's such a tough question um, for for a number of reasons. So, so one reason I said it's tough to answer right, is even having sat through two days of the hearings, the as I said, a lot of that was for TV, right? So some of these lawmakers, yeah. I don't know how differently they're talking when. There's not a camera rolling, and they're not, you know, in the public eye. Because you know, a lot yeah. of them, them emphasize the need for, you know, they don't. The U.S. needs to stay ahead. It needs to be innovative. It can't just stick its head in the sand um, just because that's expedient right now. Um, so I don't know how many of those those lawmakers, kind of in private, recognise the, the reality on the ground uh, about you know, digital currencies and and, and that this could be inevitable so maybe they need to be at the at the forefront of it. Um I really don't
0: Perish the thought, Galen. Yeah. Perish the thought. I know. And a politician would say something in private they didn't say in public.
1: <laughs> I know. Um it, it, it it's really hard. I spoke to someone um in Washington this uh this week and I was asking them, you know, if considering that the, the Libra Association is um headquartered in Switzerland and yes, I can only imagine uh, a Bond villain-like structure where they're sitting oh. high up in the Alps. You know, with Mark Zuckerberg stroking <laughs> the cat at the end of the table.
0: <laughs> That's the thing that made me laugh the most in your piece when you said how long it took someone to get round to the Spectre.
1: Oh my God, I've been waiting, Reference. waiting.
0: Well, God, it I did, so actually, obvious. didn't we do that a couple of weeks ago or did we do that when this thing was first announced? In no this probably. podcast, I think we even mentioned the, the Spectre word.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I've been phenomenal.
1: Um <laughs> Also, special, special shout out to Congressman Sherman. I don't know if you saw that, one of them, who, um, who went on a bizarre rant, um, and wild conspiracy theories, et cetera. But, um, my favorite part was when he said, uh, no one's going to call this Libra. It's going to be the Zuckbuck, which I actually quite like.
0: <laughs> That's not bad, actually.
1: <laughs> I, know, I feel like maybe we should just refer to it as the Zuckbuck from now on, to try and get this thing rolling.
0: <laughs> that is so much better than Libra.
1: <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> Call a spade a spade.
1: Um, yeah. so, so honestly I, I think I think it's uh to my, my friend when I was asking them could the US government kill it, uh they basically said just despite it's it's set up in Switzerland, etc., they were like, Yes. The reality is they could. Um they were like, also the reality is it, it, they could make things so painful for Facebook that at a certain point they decide it's not worth um uh, continuing to push it. Um that being said, will they? I think it's – I know this is a cop-out, but it's it's just too early to tell. Um, I mean, mm. Facebook uh, – David Marcus made a point several times of saying, look, they released the white paper very early on. They don't have all the details figured out, but they released it early because yeah. they wanted to get loads of feedback from different regulators. They're working with the G7. You know, he, he stressed there's a big outreach program happening to get all the feedback possible and then kind of yeah. incorporate, incorporate that into a kind of final thing. So I think there's still – there's still a lot of questions about what it will look like. It will come clear over time. I, I don't think it's dead in the water. I, I think it has a tricky political path to get to mm. launch. Um, but, you know,
0: it,
1: it's tough but doable, I'd say.
0: Yeah, okay. I mean, if we were on CNN now, Wolf Blitzer was there, there'd be some big, crescendo of music and a a magnificent graphic. But I'm about to make another one of my predictions. So we'll have the drum roll put in later on. Um, I wonder if this doesn't end up with two or three tech firms collaborating. Because I think you're right on the, the government can make it very difficult for Facebook. But if Facebook and Amazon, for instance, got their heads together and said, look, we can actually do this as a joint venture. Then I think it suddenly becomes a little bit too much for any single government to be able to handle. Well,
1: the the, the other question here, right, is um I think I mentioned this when when Libra uh, first launched. That's you know somewhere right now there was an Amazon executive getting screamed at by his higher ups about where Amazon Coin is. But I think that's another thing. I, I think that's another thing to consider, right? So so what happens if, if Facebook push ahead with Libra, but then suddenly um, you know Amazon, uh, Alibaba, WeChat. Google all launched you know announced plans to launch their own coins right so rather than this threat of you know one crypto to rule them all we're going to have this global um cryptocurrency that everyone's going to adopt and, and it's going to be so big and powerful that it's going to be terrifying you know it could be that we actually end up with you know a a, a load of competing um yeah. cryptos all trying to you know leverage their unique angle their unique client base or data set etc
0: well these the, these cryptocurrencies, like you know, Libra especially, and, and Bitcoin to a degree as well, you know, the the fans of these currencies constantly refer to them as the next reserve currency. And we have more than one reserve currency. We know the dollar is the reserve currency. But if you actually look at it in technical terms, there are two or three reserve currencies. People are still holding a lot of sterling in reserves. Yeah, but they've got the euro and the dollar. Good luck to them. <clears throat> oh, yeah, exactly. I yeah nothing wrong with selling sterling mate if there's one thing this podcast can become known for it's selling sterling Um, but the fact is we can you know there's more than one reserve currency so there probably could be more than one global cryptocurrency I guess the interesting point there would be does that just mean we end up changing names on the uh, boards and on the payments and just carry on trading different it's just a different thing we're trading it's it will be an interesting one to work out on the subject of, you know, how the U.S. will approach this. So this week saw the um, settling into the chair of CFTC Chairman Heath Tarbert. So yes. um, obviously to a lot of our listeners, he won't be uh, that familiar um, to one of these um, podcasters. He's very unfamiliar as well, I have to say. What what, what can we expect from him, do you think? Um, so, so, the, the, the issue is so not that much
1: is, so he, he comes from a, a different background to former city chair, uh, Christopher Giancarlo. Giancarlo is very much from the markets, right? So, yeah. uh, he, he knew this space very well when he came into the role. Now, my understanding is, is he's Tarbert seems to people in Washington, by his own admission, doesn't know this market or space that well. So the problem is, like, I, I've heard that basically anyone who not to believe anyone who says that they know what he's going to be like because no one knows because there's going to be a bit of a period where he gets up to speed on some of the issues and therefore we don't know what position he's going to take on them now one interesting point is uh the extent to which or not he's going to get dragged into the crypto debate um yeah, yeah obviously um libra has has politicized the whole cryptocurrency debate a lot the cftc is obviously um, one of the, the key regulators, um, of crypto markets in the U.S. Um, so I spoke to one person, you know, who was saying that, that they don't know how much, uh, Mr. Talbot will want to get away from the, the whole fintech thing, um, but also how much he'll be able to, um, you know, they were saying, you know, depending on how things evolve with Libra, he, he could get dragged into this crypto debate and, and never really be able to escape it. Um, another thing that was commented to me was that, um, you know, when Giancarlo came into this role, you know, he was, he was kind of seen as being, you know, gung ho on CES, gung ho on crypto and, and position limits. And, and none of, all of those initiatives kind of stalled, um, largely because of, of industry opposition. Um, and, and I was kind of asking, well, will, will Tarbot run into the same problems? Um, and, and they were saying it, it might be the case that, that to get things done these days, you have to kind of take, take smaller bites of the apple rather than Mm. than doing big initiatives like that, which I thought was kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I suppose the thing is is that, you know, there's a sense that if Giancarlo couldn't do it with his extensive contacts in the markets at senior levels, then anyone else can't. But, yeah, so I I take your point. It's probably a question of a different tactic, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Um, Also, sorry, this just popped up on my phone while we're talking i seen a, a note that the CFTC is investigating whether uh, BitMEX broke US trading law. Um, now BitMEX, they are a crypto exchange in, um, in Asia. And, uh, we had their, uh, their CEO speak at one of our Hong Kong events a couple of years ago. And I was asking him about, you know, <laughs> uh, how, uh, how, how you square some of the KYC AML requirements with, you know, trading um Bitcoin on a, like a permissionless open ledger. And his, uh, his response out loud, in public, on stage, um, was that if you're making enough money, your compliance people will find a way around
0: it. Yes.
1: <laughs> okay. uh, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when you're like,
0: you know, speaking out loud
1: on a microphone, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, to a room full of like the industry and regulators, et cetera. Um, So this is just a report that was up on my phone. I haven't, while we're talking, I haven't uh, investigated it at all. But um, I will be uh, intrigued. I will follow up on that one next week, perhaps.
0: Yeah. I kind of get the sense that um, the open game on foreign exchange markets is coming to an end. And the regulators are going to earn good revenues from the... uh, from the fines they can dish out the places, and maybe turn their attention G- to crypto. G- G- money. That's going to be the yeah. It's going be the new low-hanging fruit. So yeah. Um, moving on, there was the sound of celebration as I dialed into this call from the from New York. Yeah. Um, you seem quite happy about one of your predictions that you made in January.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I was, I was doing some light time, uh, some light bedtime reading the other day, you know, going through, act, back through old copies of profit and loss as I do, you know. Like in, I do the read, same when I can't sleep. Read, read past articles and, 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 bask in the warm glow of, of my own writing. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I happened, I happen to stumble across, uh, my predictions from earlier in the year. As you, as, as our regular readers, uh, listeners rather may know, um I've already scored quite well on a couple of my predictions. Um but I'd forgotten that I'd predicted that FXPB consolidation was to reverse this year and I forgot to gloat when uh, the city news broke a little while ago about them dating yeah. all the non banks. So I'm gonna take this opportunity to gloat that uh, another one of my predictions is uh has bang on point.
0: So how is so who's the new P B that's come into the game? No, 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 no. no. You're talking about reversal of consolidation. Who's the who's the new PB? The, the consolidation of clients at City. Oh, is that what you said? That is what I said. You think it's what you said? <clears throat> so I think all it's of right. a sudden, all all I, of I, a sudden, you're doing a Steve Redgrave and rowing backwards out of here as quick as you can.
1: So I'll be honest. I didn't when I was re- rereading. I just read the headline and was like, oh, I was right. <laughs> I didn't. I'm getting <laughs> into the nitty-gritty. Okay.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Um, Okay, well, let me get into the nitty-gritty on another one of your predictions, which was that the BIS turnover survey was going to show a significant increase from 2016. And I believe you actually referred to it as a bit of a tap-in in in football parlance. Um, I was going through the minutes of the uh, GFXC Uh, meeting in Tokyo in June for a piece I wrote last week. And something interesting came up on the uh, Tour de Table on the second day of the GFXE meeting. Um, And unlike you, I will actually quote directly from what's written here. So, And it says, more broadly, members observed that FX turnover volumes in April were low, suggesting that the BIS triennial survey results would also show a decline since 2016. Do you have any comment? That was unfortunate. <laughs> we give it with one hand okay. and take it away with the other. Um, actually, you know what, though, I, I would actually, I'd, I'm, I'm going to throw you a bone here, because, um, I wondered if they were looking at real comparisons from 2016 um, to 2019. It, it for, I'm not sure it's the sort of thing that someone would look up the actual data ahead of a meeting that was mainly dedicated to the FX Global Code. This was just a, um, uh, an issue discussed on the second day, along with flash crashes. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's close to the 2016 number when it comes out. Um, whichever way it is, is, I'm not going to grant you a W for it. You just, I just need you to know that now. Yeah, and, I mean, I'm, so... And by the way, yeah. Noki Mex is was roaring away earlier this week when I last checked it. <laughs> Thank you very much. So the one thing I will is, it's a very volatile okay. pair, Noki Mex. All these people talking about they can't make money for exchange. Just look at Noki Mex. Is that something like an eight big figure range in the last 10 days?
1: <laughs> okay. So with the April thing, okay, by the way, I feel like any other month this year, and my prediction would have been pretty much on point. I got unlucky with the month. Give me that.
0: Sorry, do I sound like a man's going to give you that? <laughs> <laughs> if we were in the same room, it would be, look at my face. Is this the face of someone's going to give you that? <clears throat> we, that, can that let, we can, can let that. you... <laughs> yeah, I'm, maybe. Um, actually, actually also, I'm not convinced. I found the quote, by the way,
1: for the, the okay. FxPB. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one question. Po- Talking about credit, blah, blah, blah. One consequence was, of this was a lot of FXPB activity consolidated into a small number of players, and I think it's fair to say that City was probably the biggest beast in the jungle when this had all shaken out. However, in December of last year, City relocated its FXPB business, blah, 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 etc. etc. et cetera. Et cetera. While, while this doesn't necessarily uh, – needn't necessarily precipitate a pullback from City in the FXPB space, I still think that the consolidation of business that's occurred in the last few years will reverse in 2019 as firms with traditionally smaller PB businesses offset yeah. their lack of scale with a combination of
0: efficient technology and reduced costs, that's a win. Excellent. That is excellent. Because whilst 98% of your prediction is right, that one line that said, What I don't think this main Citibank will pull back from FXPB, I have something to nail you on.
1: <laughs> I said, wait, wait. The devil's in the details. I said, well, this needn't necessarily precipitate. Not, not this doesn't. Let's it not out, get into
0: the. Let's not get into your fence sitting um, preferences when it comes to making these predictions, as you did last year. It, it's a very carefully worded article, Colin. <laughs> you got to give yourself Google. well. Yes, exactly. Yes, and, and I think that this is one of those perfect predictions where I think we've both got an opportunity to uh, stake our claim. So, so Colin, can I can look forward to you. that one in okay. the January issue.
1: I'm the opposite to you. Sometimes right, sometimes wrong. Always uncertain. Yeah, (laughs) that
0: should be the name. That should be the name of our podcast. I think we should we should dump (laughs) in the thick of it. (laughs) The other thing I just wanted to briefly touch on this week actually was I got a fair bit of feedback. Um, Now we all to preface this by saying yes, I used to be a trader. So yes, I do tend to sort of view the trading business through more synthetic eyes. Um, okay. as we pointed out last week, I've been on a bit of a rant about the fact that I think we need more risk taking in the market and less, less participants looking to make half a pip out of a thousand trades and maybe yep. more people looking to make, you know, 30 pips out of 10 trades. Um, but something that really struck me this week was, uh, so there's ongoing legal actions brought by three former Wells Fargo FX um, executives, to use the technical term. Um, they were dismissed, well, I think it was 2000, early 2018 or mid-2018, um, and two were traders, two were salespeople, and it was related to a Burger King takeover of Tim Horton's. And it basically meant they had to do a four billion dollar can of the trade. Um okay. Now we'll all be happy to hear it's not about pre-hedging. Um, they basically gave the trading desk. It's an interesting structure. I don't think I, I haven't come across this structure before, um, or certainly not for the last you know fifteen twenty years, whereby the trading desk was not apparently rewarded according to P and L. It was down to how well they handled business, efficiency of executing customer orders and so on, and handling handling tickets. Yes, they had to make some money, but generally speaking, that would come with handling the orders well. Um, yeah. But the sales teams were um, – their bonuses were like twice, twice annually according to how much they could make. So, well, this deal was done, and apparently there was a deal with um, – I can't remember the name of the bookings banner brand restaurant something it's called. Um, but okay. the dealers agreed that they gave him an at worst rate. I said, okay, so at worst we guarantee you this rate, and what we'll do is that uh, any profit that we make above that, and you know any any improvement in the execution, we'll split fifty fifty. Now the customer agreed that, and I don't see why they didn't because, quite frankly, it's a tactic that I used many many years ago, and I think it's been used for decades by spot dealers. You know. I'm willing to take on the risk that if this thing runs away from me, I'm stuffed. But I think I can get it done here. And if I do better, we'll split split the the improvement. That way, you know, there's an incentive for the trader to do better and the customer gets rewarded. This was the deal here. Now, apparently, they made $1.5 million out of the deal, which they they go to the sales desk for splitting, presumably, with the customer. Now, I haven't seen an official response from Wells Fargo on this, their response to the court actions was just to basically say, no, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. They don't give any details. And the traders and salesperson who were dismissed basically turned around and said, well, actually, you know, they didn't actually tell us what rules were broken. So my point is very simple. If the trading desk wasn't, wasn't there to make money out of this trade, and they handed the P&L over to the sales desk. How did Wells Fargo end up sacking two traders? Because it seems to me that what they did was a good job in the execution. Now, and again, it could well be that, you know, in the Wells Fargo response that something else comes up. But if the traders did a good job, gave the P&L to the sales desk a split, how have the traders ended up getting fired? I For the life of me, I can't I, work it out. Heads have got a role, Colin. Well, yeah, but, I mean, they 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 got rid of two salespeople. And, yeah, you don't know the – I mean, one of them suing for unfair dismissal because he was based in Charlotte, and the deal was done on the desk in San Francisco. And he apparently sent an email to someone explicitly saying, look, the guy responsible for this deal was sitting next to you. Why am I managing him for this deal? You should do it. And that was agreed. So, you know, who knows on that one. But, you know, they know, salespeople were fired. I'm really struggling to come to th- – I mean, if someone out there can understand, can give me more background on this, it'd be much appreciated. Because the court is – the case is now going to district court for a jury hearing um, as opposed to um uh, whatever – I think it's a county superior court it was at the moment. Um But, yeah, I just put it out there that I, I'm struggling to come to terms with how, when they're not a profit center on the deal, traders can be fired for this. And this is a, this is, I guess, at the tail end of the, um, you know, the unfair dismissal stuff that we saw in London where, you know, we just saw banks take an axe to their trading teams. And I've said before that I think that it's, you know, they, they went over the top. There's a lot of collateral damage there that didn't need to be, um, you know, there are a lot of victims that didn't need to be victims as the courts have backed up. Um, I wonder if this is the latest episode, um, to loop back to my point on you – Joe, know, to, to not loop back to a point, but to mention the Global Foreign Exchange Committee and the Global Code, um, I think this has got something to do with markups and where the markups are allocated. If that is the case, then I really do not understand how traders have got involved in that, unless there was some explicit agreement that they've that's come across that they're not telling us. So I just want to put that on people's radar. Yet again, the traders whinging about other traders – <laughs> um, the only other point I wanna the only other point I wanna make is that um earlier this week Bitcoin went down to nine thousand and twenty eight dollars. So obviously I took profit on my sale at nine and a half thousand dollars three weeks ago. Nice. Well, what can I say? There you, mate? Go,
1: Col- there you go, Colin. You're getting into the crypto you game. You wear a thirty
0: five percent you wear the thirty five percent against and make three thousand make three percent instead. So all great traders work, isn't it? Um <laughs> On that sad note, and I still don't, I mean, yeah, the world of Bitcoin is confusing me, I have to say. I'm glad I'm not trading there. I had one go at it years ago, got out of it with everything intact, and I'm happy, to, happy not to go back there again. With that in mind, we will close out now. Thanks very much for listening. Feedback, always welcome, and information, as I said, on the Wells Fargo stuff. So have a good week, and we'll speak to you next week. Thanks for listening.